2: Hello, welcome to episode 144 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. My name's Sam Davis and a very happy new year to you. I hope that 2022 is going to be your year. What New Year's resolutions are you making? you making any? Maybe it's to be a subscriber of the show on YouTube. You probably are already. If you haven't, go to youtube.com forward slash AFCB podcast. And look, hopefully it's a good year for everyone. We've had a couple of crap years, let's be fair. But for AFC Bournemouth, 2021 was a year of transition, of change. And we started really well with our new manager at the start of the season. But oh my goodness, what happened? We fell off a cliff. But... The last two games of 2021 did improve somewhat with an unexpected 1-0 win at Loftus Road against Queen's Park Rangers, followed by a very convincing win against the Bluebirds. Yeah, we beat Cardiff, 10-man Cardiff at the Vitality Stadium under the lights. So where does that leave us? Well, in this show, it's slightly different because it's the press pass where we reviewed Sherry's first half of the season in the company of some esteemed journalistic maestros if you're watching live at the time on youtube kudos to you because there was the darts build up on sky and also the masked singer on itv so we were privileged that you chose to join us on that note we better bring in my co-presenter and look i tried to give some masked singer jokes he didn't really get it but it's jeff haywood and then we're going to meet our press pass guests He's a bit of a machine. He likes his snake bite, but he's also a firework, loves his donuts and whisper it. He's quite a robo bunny as well. It is Mr. Jeff Hayward. Jeff, how are you? Has that just gone over your head?
1: I mean, that is so over my head. It's unbelievable, Sam.
2: Well, uh, I'm sure you've got audiences swooning at you every so often saying, take it off, take it off, right? Must have.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, can't walk down the street without that happening. I
2: actually watched it last night and I actually got into it. It's quite bad. But anyway, mm. probably less said about that, the better, eh? That's lockdown yeah. for you. So anyway, Jeff, Happy New Year to you. How are you
1: doing? Happy New Year. Well, uh, this is my self-isolation suite. Picked up COVID the day before New Year's Eve. So, mm. Mm, lovely.
2: Not particularly great. And I know a number of Cherries fans are, are suffering the same plight at the moment. But on the pitch... Things are happy at the moment. The 24th game of the season for AFC Bournemouth was thankfully a win as we defeated QPR at Loftus Road. We then followed this up with a 3-0 win against Cardiff. So it's fair to say that the second half of the campaign has started better than the first half ended. Those first 23 games, though, they did provide a lot of talking points and many a Cherries fan would have been pleasantly surprised at how we started. But in the middle of it all, our form did drop off a cliff somewhat as we approach Christmas and many fans were a bit concerned by the dip why did it happen what went wrong and are the cherries still the real deal I think we might be can we get promoted well to chat cherries today we have got uh, a couple of people that you'll be familiar with firstly from the athletic the AC Bournemouth correspondent Ahmed Shubal how are you Ahmed I'm good I'm good yourself
0: very good happy new year to you sir and to you too, and to you too. And you, Jeff, as well.
1: Thank you. Good to see you, Ahmed.
0: And also a, too, man, a man that needs
1: no
2: introduction, but we're going to do it anyway. It's lead AFC Bournemouth Match Day commentator from BBC Radio Solent and a number of other things. It is Mr. Chris Temple here Chris as well. Temple. Chris, how are you doing?
3: Very good, thank you. Good evening to all three of you and good evening to everybody watching as well.
2: And it's great to see so many people tuned in right now. As I said, we'll try to finish before the dance starts so you can watch all that. Uh, Can't promise to end before the Master Singer, though, so you can always watch it on ITV Hub, right? And throughout the show, we'll also be popping your comments on screen as well. And if you've got any questions for Chris and Ahmed as well, we'll try to get them on and get them asked too. We've had a number that have been submitted already. Before we begin, uh, Chris, we were all looking forward to watching potentially a a third win in a row for the Cherries versus Peterborough. But last night they announced its postponement. Can you um, provide a timeline of what sort of happened with all that?
3: The timeline is, Sam, that I saw the email and the tweets about the same time you did, uh, to be honest with you. So in terms of uh, what's actually gone on behind the scenes, I know pretty much as much as you on this Mm. one. Um, Obviously, it did sort of come from nowhere, didn't it? Because... You know, we, we're talking about a couple of days after a game when everybody played and everybody seemed fine and the way they played, you wouldn't think anybody... I mean, presumably now we've got to think that people were playing with COVID um, because mm. there were no match day tests and it was something that was done, uh, changed, wasn't it, in the uh, the couple of days surrounding that game that the EFL suddenly changed their procedure um, after that late Blackburn Hull postponement to say no match day testing. So the players, as far as I gather, weren't tested on, on match day. Um, so, therefore, you have to think one or two that might actually have been playing with COVID. I haven't seen any news from Cardiff, any of their players. I haven't seen their team today. I've got to be honest, see whether any of their players were missing today with, with similar reasons. But obviously, their squad, who played in the same game, were able to turn out again today. So, yeah, really disappointing. Uh, i I don't like this to see the word injuries in there. I think that's no. become a bit of a bone of contention, isn't it? That you've got teams, you know, Southampton should have been playing Newcastle tomorrow and Eddie's found a couple of serious injuries and as well as other things got that game called off. So but that's the grey area for me. COVID obviously unavoidable and you, you want everybody to be safe and well. Injuries, I don't think that needs to be start creeping in in terms of reasons to get games called off.
2: No, of course. And Jeff, I mean we're in some good form at the moment that's that's the last thing that Scott Parker would have really wanted to do I'm sure
1: yeah it's pretty pretty desperate really I'm sure um it felt like we could be on a run of three consecutive wins which would have been terrific put lots of distance between us and Fulham and give them an extra t- an extra game to catch up which which I think would have been in our favour however you know you you can't, you can't, um, you can't mess about with COVID. I mean, I think what Chris said about Cardiff. I mean, Cardiff more likely to have people red carded than have COVID at the moment. <laughs> but um, it is serious, and I think as soon as there's one outbreak within the group, which Lloyd Kelly obviously was, the chances of you keeping it to one player, I think, are, are really, really tough. I mean, it is so easily transmissible. I mean, you and I were both at the QPR game, and that's where we think we picked it up. So. Mm. You know, you, you don't need to be in a concourse where there's absolutely no space to breathe, let alone, you know, walk about to, to get it. You can just literally pick it up from from shaking hands with somebody. And I'm, I'm sure it's difficult to contain at the moment. But um, yeah, you know.
2: Yeah. I wonder if the club maybe might change the uh, protocols with regards to players doing selfies and stuff afterwards, because I did see a couple floating around on social media and I think mm, maybe maybe they'll change their policy in terms of what happens after the game. But I can tell you something on that,
3: Sam actually. Interestingly, ah, there, there was it. a there was a shirt. I think I can't remember which player it was. One of the players gave their shirt to somebody and actually one of the cherry staff went and got it back. Um, because the protocols are that they're not supposed to be doing selfies, they're not supposed to be giving out shirts and things. So I know that hasn't happened every single time, but I do know of at least one occasion when they were alert enough. I don't know if it was this game or the QPR game, uh, to go and get the shirt back and say that's not what we're supposed to be doing at the moment
2: okay interesting so Ahmed any idea what's going to happen with Yeovil because that's just around the corner and it's sort of seven days after when they announced it or do you think do you get the feeling it's going to be one where they're going to just put out
0: their their under 23s or something like that exactly right that was my uh initial hunch when I heard the news I mean correct me if I'm wrong guys but I think it's um for those affected they must they have to test negative on the sixth and the seventh day of their isolation and if they mm. uh if they uh, test negative in those tests, then um, they're free to, well, I guess they're free from isolation. And I guess that would technically make them free for isolation for the overall game. But I think as, as we've just spoken about, the toll this virus has taken off footballers, you know, at the peak of their powers is it can be exhaustive. So I think they'll probably need a bit, a bit more time. And in that respect, yeah, I guess it would probably have to be uh, a much more threadbare side and then just sort of put the tie to bed almost and just move on past because there's, there's much more much more bigger fish to fry with the championship I think particularly with um, you know, the Tory ball we just touched on earlier I think um, it probably behooves Bournemouth to just I guess get this tie out of the way um, wherever, whether, that, whether that's when the tie is actually supposed to happen on Saturday or a uh, later date but I, th- I think my initial hunch is the game will go ahead Bournemouth will put out a, a depleted team and I guess that'll be that we'll move on
2: mm. So Jeff Compared to last season, we're, we're in a pretty good position at the moment, aren't we? So we're going to reflect on the first half of the season. And it's fair to say that despite the blip before Christmas, we're doing all right and we're sitting pretty, eh?
1: Yeah, there have been a, a lot of comparisons made with where we were this time last season. And I think looking at the stats, we're seven points better off after 25 games, which is a decent. We drew, I think, too many under uh, Jason Tyndall, too many games where we should have won. And didn't, and I don't think there's that sense of uh underperformance that we had last season. Um, and ultimately, you've got to say, with four weeks' preparation for Scott Parker to have the team where we are, is a phenomenal piece of coaching. Um, we had significant injuries at the start of the season, so to be top is is actually astonishing, I think. Hmm.
2: I mean, Chris, you're you're someone that's um sort of in and around the club fairly often do you get the feeling that the atmosphere is a little bit different this season
3: do you mean in terms of you know the feel-good factor and the fact they're going to get promoted
2: yeah that's right
3: uh I think I think so I think you know Mm. As Jeff says, the, the injuries haven't helped in the last... And we have to remember the team that Scott Parker had at the start of the season. Let's not forget that first five or six games when, you know, uh, we joke about me taking my boots, Willow taking our boots. We nearly were. Um, you look at the bench, there was no, no appearances hardly between the substitutes that were sitting... I remember the game at Forest, I think it was. There was about two league appearances between the whole bench. So I think people also quickly forget how well, and you said, Jeff, about the turnaround of four weeks and getting everybody together and and moving in the right direction, you know, literally throwing a a jigsaw together and shaking up the box and hoping it came out in some sort of, you know, um, order to win those first few games. So I think that's even more remarkable. But yeah, around around the camp, I think at the moment when everybody's fit, They realise they have got, you know, the best or certainly with Fulham, the two best squads in the championship. And all being well, they are the two teams who appear, although Blackburn have just thrown a little bit of a spanner in the works. But whether their momentum can continue, I'm sure we'll talk about later. But, yeah, I think the belief is there that with everybody and with, you know, Ethan Laird as the athletic, you know, um, quite rightly and and sort of scooped today. uh, And with, you know, probably two or three more, hopefully, to come during this window as well, uh, and maybe one or two going out. Uh, the squad is going to be looking, I think, particularly, particularly strong going into the second half of the season now. Mm. Brilliant stuff. Well, the second half of the
2: campaign, Ahmed, it started a bit like the first half did really positively. And at the start of the season, I must admit, I didn't really know what to expect from the campaign. But here we are sitting top of the league and it's certainly a decent uh, you know, position for us to be in. Would you say that the team has performed to your expectations or maybe above them so far this season?
0: Oh, that's a tricky one. I think, mm. um, obviously, initially, as you guys touched on, uh, particularly that's that squad against um, West Brom with the first game of the season, I think it was a bench made up entirely of academy graduates. Um, not, I don't think any of whom had any real um, uh, championship experience. So I guess at the beginning of the season my expectations were um, completely blown out of the water because, you know, the, the team had started so well. You had the likes of Zamora and Anthony coming in and they just they sort of seemed to hit the ground running immediately uh, in championship football and men's football, which is, you know, completely unheard of. Um, but then as the season sort of went on um, and that sort of unbeaten 15-game run at the beginning of the season turned into one win in eight, then my expectations, you know, weren't really being met because of how high the expectations were set at the beginning of the season, if that makes sense. And so... You, I think the biggest sort of gripe in speaking to Bournemouth fans, and I've noted this myself as well, is that for a team as talented as Bournemouth are, they don't really seem to be as gung-ho as, 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 as I'd expect yeah. them to be um, in terms of particularly going the goal in front. A lot, of the, a lot of the wins, I think Bournemouth have only won by three goal margin or more only twice this season, maybe th- oh, three times against Barnsley, Huddersfield and Swansea. Um, And for a team, you know, this stacked to the attacking quality, you'd expect that to be much more the case. I mean, Fulham, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but they've got way more margins by comfortable, way more victories by comfortable margins. And I think that's probably been the biggest part of where my expectations haven't been met in that Bournemouth will go a goal front. And as you touched on those last two games, we've seen a change in that where Bournemouth have come out in the second half and are way more adventurous and, you know, sort of create chance after chance after chance. And while in the game against QPR, they weren't able to take all those chances. And against Cardiff, to be fair, they were way more chances that they could, they could have taken. I think it's a signal of intent now that Parker's less sort of pragmatic and conservative in his approach. And, uh, you know, is has less of an appetite of playing the games in the fine margins, which I think was a bit of an issue. And now has sort of allowed his team to kind of take their foot off the handbrake a little bit, or take their ha- hand off the handbrake uh, mm. a little bit. <laughs> And, um, yeah, just sort of, you know, be a bit more daring and, and just try and go for more, widen the margin so, you know, Bournemouth aren't necessarily under the cosh for the last 20 minutes.
1: There was a lot of hope invested in Scott Parker. And what we've seen, I think, is a manager who knows what it takes to win games in the Championship. And I think we're seeing an increasing amount of confidence from him in the way that he's coaching. Um there's been a lot of chat about Parkable, particularly from disgruntled Fulham Mm. fans aimed in our direction. And I see it as something quite different. I I see Scott Parker as a coach whose style of play is maturing. He's learning, he's growing. And I think you've got to expect him to, to actually learn about the players as well in the short time that he's been with us. And I think he's definitely finding out about who's the best fit, where the best fit is, and getting more confident in the players' ability to win games more confidently. Certainly the second half at QPR and the way we turned it on in the second half against Cardiff, albeit with the extra man, fills us with a degree of optimism. I feel pretty good about Parker, pretty confident in him.
2: And Chris, what were your dealings with Parker before he joined AFC Bournemouth? Did you have much with him or any any conversations?
3: never met him. Never, never knew him. Never come into contact with him. Never interviewed him. Uh, I spoke to you know, like all these things, you sort of do a bit of research yourself, actually, and speak to our colleagues at BBC London, uh, who will have dealt with him a lot when he was at Fulham, uh, maybe when he was, you know, in his playing days as well at Spurs and, and West Ham and other places and Charlton. Um, and, you know, they all said the same thing. Great to deal with, you know, doesn't particularly like doing interviews. He's very similar to Eddie, actually. If you if you offered him the, the opportunity, Sarah, you've never got to do another interview in your life. He'd bite your hand off and say, fine, thanks very much. Um, but he knows full well it's part of his remit and he's, you know, he speaks speaks pretty well. Um, you, you know, he's, he's always, like all managers, they don't say everything they're thinking, of course, because they don't want everyone opposition to pin stuff up on the wall and whatever but I found him great to deal with to be honest with you so far uh, I'm sure Ahmed can say the same probably from his uh his journalings and the newspaper
0: guys you know the echo guys and, and Jacob
3: and that would say the same as well I hope
0: yeah I mean completely the same I have to echo the, the same uh you mentioned he <laughs> mentioned him say not really uh saying what's on his mind but I don't know if you were there um post-match after the Blackburn game when obviously. when it came to light that Lerma's, um, yeah <laughs> charge had stood, even after, after he went to the hearing. He definitely spoke his mind <laughs> at that point for sure. Mm. But I think that that was probably an exception. But yeah, I've had I've had no no issue with him. He's been uh, you know delightful, delightful. I think t- just touching on um, what you said earlier about the Fulham fans just getting on to uh, just. Directing a lot of uh, mean comments in terms of the way that Parker, Parker ball and just in terms of what that means in general to them, I think it's important to remember that he's still a young manager. He's he's got he's learned a lot from this yeah, time at Fulham yeah. um, in terms of the players as well. He's learned a lot of he's, he, 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 while he did hit the ground running, he's he's still learning about these players and he, he kept reminding us kept reminding us of of that in the in the press room whenever you know it'd be ten games or be in eleven games, fifteen games or whatever. He would always remind us, look, guys, this is still like I'm still learning with with, with this team. You know, we're just at the very beginning stages here. This isn't something that, you know, we we haven't just clicked automatically. There's a lot of work that's gone into this and there's a lot of work to come still.
1: As a long term solution, Ahmed, who would you rather have, Marco
0: Silva or Scott Parker? For Bournemouth? Mm. Yeah, I'd have Scott Parker, plainly because just because every person I speak to at the club, they keep referring to this thing of making up for lost time when, when it comes to Scott Parker, because the pursuit of him um, from his time when he was you know under under 18's coach at uh, Spurs, the, the, the club have wanted him. Richard Hughes in particular, the technical director, they've had Scott Parker on their radar for a long time. There were points last season where he was struggling with Fulham and they felt like they could have made the move, but it wasn't at the right time uh, when Tyndall was sacked initially. Um, and there were sort of talks of David Wagner and Thierry Henry and Patrick Vieira being touted. Um, Scott Parker was also one of those names but it was a a bit more difficult to take him out of a situation at Fulham and then when the opportunity presented itself um, particularly now this season I think Bournemouth have a much easier run at promotion than they did last season with Brentford and and Norwich and Swansea in the way last season Um, now it's only really them and Fulham and Blackburn are making a late shout but I still think um, Bournemouth should have um, too much for them Uh, I think yeah I think long term I'd rather have Scott Parker for sure.
1: I mean, I don't wish to pour salt on any Fulham fans here, but I, I I remember Marco Silva when he was at Everton when we were in the Premier Premier League, and I, I just felt he was a he's a short term foreign manager who's going to be gone to another club when he gets a better offer. I don't know what you think, Chris.
3: Yeah, I mean, again, having, I've particularly watched a lot of Marco Silva's teams apart from when they've been up against Bournemouth, to be honest with you. But if you think of, I just going back to sort of turn it around to Scott Parker, you think of the hunger that's going to be in him in terms of having taken a team out of the Championship. OK, he's, he's ticked that box, but he couldn't keep a team in the Premier League. So the hunger for him to, to to tear off that Fulham page, you know, obviously, I think a few things were going on behind the scenes and this was a perfect time for him to, to restart, if you like. And it was all talked about a long-term project, wasn't it, at Bournemouth? And that was what everybody was buying into. So the hunger with him if he can get Bournemouth up fair enough that's the second time and to get two teams out of the championship in two full seasons as a manager is a pretty impressive achievement whatever financial backing you have so then the next you know the next thing the next fire burning at him is right Bournemouth are they better equipped if they go up to stay in the Premier League than Fulham were and Fulham again I don't think they're really particularly invested at all when they went into the Premier League hardly um, they had pretty much the same squad and you know that, that told eventually they had some great results along the way but never had enough conceded far too many goals And, you know, I think that sounds familiar to Bournemouth fans, doesn't it? Conceding far too many goals in the Premier League. So if it happens come May, then it's, uh, you know, what can Scott Parker do that Eddie Howe couldn't manage to do? Albeit, you know, five seasons in the Premier League was amazing. But for Scott Parker now, that that fire is there to say, right, I'm going to be a top level manager. I'm going to keep a team, you know, not a big team in the Premier League.
2: Yeah. Uh, So he seems to be a little bit, I mean, to me, he seems to be a little bit like Mr. Howe in terms of not letting himself get too high Uh, and also too low as well and I think this is sort of reflected Ahmed by his steady and controlled style of football that we seem to have adopted how do you feel as though Parker's changed the way that the side was playing when compared to the end of last season under Jonathan Woodgate
0: um I like I said there's more of an appetite for fighting those games in fine margins which I guess makes things a little bit more volatile because you know If the margins are so fine, then those momentum shifts, it doesn't take much to swing the game in in, in one team's favour or out of Bournemouth's favour or whatever. So there's that that main difference. But I think in terms of just the general philosophy and playing style, um, there is a lot more uh, of an intense sort of intensity off the ball in terms of winning the ball back, Uh, not just from a high press in terms of Solanke and Anthony and Christie pressing the opposition defences. We see the counter press in terms of how quick Bournemouth win the ball back after losing it. Uh, we saw shades of that obviously Cardiff had 10 men for, for, for almost half of the game so you know that entire second half they were literally pinned back in their own box mm. but uh, in games gone by like the, the game at Bristol City for example that was probably the most suffocating that I've seen Pornmouth play in a very long time and there have been so yeah. many of those performances where uh, a mid, an opposition midfielder or defender will try and play out the ball and then the, they'll just converge like on them it's almost like they've Parker described it as like having a hive mind as if they're all mm. operating with one brain it's like almost like playing a computer game or FIFA I don't know how often you guys play um, those, <laughs> those games but um, it's basically like just having one, one player essentially control a five or six and they'll just yeah. converge, win the ball back, recycle it and they'll go again and I guess the key with that is the more they keep going at defences the more weary those defenders become facing yeah. wave after wave of attack and then the more mistakes they made as we see as we saw in the game against Swansea where I said towards the in the last 20 minutes, every Bournemouth attack was ending up in they were getting in Bournemouth, but bo- we were getting into Andy's box, and so playing in that way, while it is a big cost to pay in terms of the team's fitness levels, and it is a big step up. I think we, when I came on at the beginning of the season, I referenced the the PPDA stats, the passes per defensive action, yeah. and that essentially measures how many passes a team allows before. The opposition makes a defensive uh, sort of action, or an interception, a mm-hmm. tackle, or whatever. And Bournemouth uh, were they're not they're not really at the top anymore. They they've dropped off in this recent run, but they're still up in above the the top sort of four, top top top, top three, top four, uh, and they're still maintaining those high levels of intensity even uh, in 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 that poor run we we mentioned earlier. So it's yeah, it's it's more intense there's more of an emphasis on suffocating the opposition and um, definitely sort of uh, those rotations out wide as well. There's, there's so much to it. And there's almost like a, it's, a th- it feels like it did, Parker handed out almost like a, a manual or like a philosophy of his book he's been writing over the summer and he handed it out to all the players because they, they understand it. And they understood it to a T even when we see like sort of Davis come in for Zamora um, at times, he understood the left-back rock so well and, you know, it's just that the that, 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 that understanding of what they need to do is also there. I think that's a testament to his coaching.
1: Do you think, Chris, that uh, that uh, level of fitness requires a different approach to the coaching? And have you seen any changes to the the coaching that's going on?
3: It's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, even actually, Newcastle have suddenly picked up a couple of hamstring injuries, haven't you? Which I was thinking, hang on a minute, I've, I've heard about this somewhere before uh, <laughs> yeah. from from a certain style of coaching or whatever. Uh, and you know, Bournemouth, to be fair, haven't really. I mean, I know Jay Z got clattered in a game, didn't he? And you think of some of the others. You know, Lloyd Kelly wasn't a wasn't a, a match. Uh, wasn't Was a training injury rather. But some of the others have been a bit unfortunate. So there's obviously some kind of you know the he brought his entire sports science team with him. They're obviously trusted. If they, you know, they obviously have a way of working. They work them very hard. I mean, you sometimes you see the running and the work they do after the game. And Ahmed, you know, sometimes we're, we're lucky to be party to some of that when everyone's gone home and, you know, there's players coming out. There's kettlebells coming out, and all sorts of benches. <laughs> and Mark Travers does about a thousand kettlebell swings after matches when everyone's gone home. So they really are on it. And the players, you know, I always feel a bit sorry for the players who have to come out in the driving rain to do their running if they haven't got on the field. But that seems to go on forever. Um, So yeah, they're obviously, you know, they're they're finely tuned athletes. But there's obviously a, a way of of training them, which is getting them to peak fitness. And they they are, they they don't never really look tired in games. I can't think of many mm. games this season, and you, you guys might remember off the top of your head, but I can't mm. think of many games when we say that Bournemouth looked tired, they look shot, they're gone. You say it about opposition, I don't really, you don't really ever see Phil Billings stop pressing, Jefferson Lerma covering the ground, Jay-Z up and down, Jack Stacey mm. up and down. You never see it sort of weighing at all, do you?
2: No, you don't sort of, but you do see sometimes mistakes, but not not the sort of lethargy that you're referring to. Never uh, do you see that. And no. no, really interesting. And you'd think that pressing style would would maybe show that in the sort of later stages of the game, maybe they'd start flagging. The only stat that maybe would back that up is the fact that most of the goals that we've conceded seem to be in the second half, which maybe there's a case for it i don't quite know but
3: is that mental t- fatigue do you, think? Do you think that's a mental fatigue of the could, yeah, yeah. of that that intense Absolutely. style. that does rather than the, the running and the the actual the, the mechanics of doing it all sometimes it's the it's the brain power it takes isn't it and maybe that's the reason in the second half because they're not always yeah. late goals are they there's some, you know that 50 to 60 minute period is is quite a costly one for bournemouth Weird, I weirdly, no I was looking at—I was looking at a stat actually, Chris—that said
2: it was like thirty percent or something of the goals we conceded in that ten-minute spell between fifty and sixty minutes or something like that. So yeah, really interesting you said that. Sorry, Jeff.
1: That, that's also struck me as a bit of a mentality issue that we we sort of switch from being uh, aggressive, attacking to being cautious. You know, and sometimes mm. that's mirrored with the substitutions. But what that does to the team mindset, I think, is is also it says. We're not going forward. We're going to just protect what we've got. And that just makes you more vulnerable, I think, when you start doing that.
3: Mm.
2: Yeah, very true. Very true. So (laughs) we've had this reliance on youth that we probably didn't want at the start of the season. I remember that first match against West Brom. You're looking at it and we were looking at the, you know, the lads on the bench. And I mean, Ahmed, did it surprise you how well the likes of Zamora, Anthony, zeno Wibson, Rossi, and gav kilkenny actually managed to deal with things
0: yeah it surprised me immensely um i mean i'll be honest I, I i think they surprised everyone um i remember first asking parker about what he thought of Ibsen rossi and he was like i hadn't i hadn't met him i didn't know who he was on the first day of training and then um they did this i forget how long it was i think it might have been a 1600 uh 1600 meter run uh, just initially in pre-season just the, the source of kind of the fit, the, the lovely fitness that, that the players sort of enjoy doing um, in, in the middle of the summer and he, he was initially just caught by how far ahead of the pack that Ibsen Rossi was um, in terms of that running um, and immediately was like, "Yeah, yup, this is someone who I who I wanted this who I wanted the squad who I, I want to be in my plans." Um, so yeah, I think just in terms of I think it's not just the quality of player that they are; it's just the the tenacity that they brought into with Parker, and I think just their general level of commitment. They never shy away. I was I, I rewatched the um, the Cardiff game, and I was just struck by. Um, how much Zamora demanded the ball in dangerous areas, and the bravery of him from just from even central areas, a, a position where you positions of the pitch where you see Billing and Lerma and some of the best ball players in the team pick up the ball, and he was absolutely demanding the ball from Kelly and and the rest of them from you know from very dangerous areas, driving Bournemouth forward, and he just had so much thrust to his game. Um, and this is for a player, This is his first Championship season. I know I have to keep saying that because it's just <laughs> remarkable. Sometimes I, I I don't believe it myself, but just the way that. The likes of him, Anthony, Ibsen Rossi, Kilkenny as well is worth a mention. Um, the way they've yeah. all come in and just, you know, they're keeping real um, experienced professionals out of the team at times. And they're really making, you know, Scott Parker's decisions very difficult in terms of, um, you know, sometimes I think Kilkenny and Pearson and, and, and Rogers aren't even making the squad such as the depth of that, that Parker has to choose from. So I think they're really holding their own really well. Um, I think that, you know, across the, a 46-game championship season, And in in this season particularly, there are going to be injuries and and COVID and and all the rest of it. So there'll be ample opportunities for, for them all to come in and force their way into Parker's plans. And I think they've all done tremendously well.
3: I think Kilkenny's definitely worth a mention. I mean, I think you're right to, to pick mm-hmm. him out there because he didn't make the squad on, uh, for the Cardiff game, and that was on merit. That wasn't he wasn't injured or ill or anything. He just wasn't selected, uh, and he was probably the standout player in the uh, the Middlesbrough game, wasn't he? The away game where, to be honest, it wasn't yep. a great performance overall. Apart from the first half chances, once they went, the second half faded away. But he's one of the. I think he's come on quite a bit this season because he would always be one of those guys who would play in the League Cup. And then you wouldn't see him again for maybe the whole season. Sometimes he wouldn't even be on the bench. Um, his his problem is, and it's such an easy, lazy observation, but his problem is still that he's lightweight physically. Um, and he, you know, in in the championship center of midfield. You know, you can see why Jefferson Lerma has his success and Gaff Kilkenny sometimes finds it a bit more difficult. Lewis Cook, you know, similar stature, but just that little bit more robust, isn't he? Um, and I just think Gaff Kilkenny, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you suddenly find strength. You know, you can't just go to the gym and, and just grow muscles. Um, but just in terms of that match strength, if you like, I just think that's the one thing holding him back. But as a footballer, you know, the Ireland camp think very highly of him. Lots of talk that he should be, you know, making the jump from the under-21s to the senior squad. So personally, I would like to, I mean... I don't know. I don't think Lewis Cook's having a good I don't think Lewis Cook has quite snapped back to, and it's not surprising, is it? He's had Mm a second serious injury. Uh, He's been a bit better the last couple of games, but I think Gav Kilkenny's been a bit unlucky to be behind Lewis Cook as many times he has been in recent weeks. Mm, mm, For sure. Yeah.
1: I think the key player really has been uh, Jordan Zamura. I mean, if you'd have said to me at the start of the season, where did we need players? I'd, I'd have said a left back, I'd have said a goalkeeper, and Travers has been outstanding. And you look at you look at uh, the way that Jay Z fits into the Parker system, and I, I think that's been really the the important thing. Parker talks a lot about process. He's got a way of playing, but if you're a player who can't play that way, you're not going to get game time. Yeah. And Jay Z definitely fits that mold. You know the energy of the guy is, it's, If you if you play Diego Rico trying to get him to do that role, he couldn't do it. He just doesn't have the energy levels. And that is superb what Jay-Z has done. He's got no fear because he's a young player. He's obviously really good mates with uh, Jaden Anthony, who I I would say is more
3: of a team player than um, his predecessor ever really was.
1: <laughs> Ooh.
3: Well, Jaden Anthony was in the six-yard box, you know, knocking Kiefer Moore off his stride to head in after, what was it, five minutes <laughs> the other day. So mm-hmm. would you see Dan Juma in his own six-yard box heading off the line or put, putting somebody off on the goal line?
2: Mm-hmm. No. Probably not. Probably not. So, Jeff, then, we saw the run of results in August look like this. And look, West Brom, two all, they were an unknown quantity at the time. Some brilliant back-to-back away wins at Forest and also St Andrews as well. And then a couple of matches that really really frustrated me, I've got to say. We were 2-0 up over Blackpool. Dom Solanke probably should have made it three. He was running through. I think he was almost going for the perfect hat-trick because by that point, he'd had a header and a right-footed shot. And it looked like he was trying to take it to the keeper's right, his left, to just tap it home with the left foot. But sadly, the uh, uh, the goalkeeper saved it. And lo and behold, about five, ten minutes later, Blackpool had a penalty and then they scored again, 2 all. Uh, And then Hull away, which was a ball draw. What, was your, what were your thoughts after that, those first yeah, opening it, five it, games?
1: It was, uh, it was actually quite difficult to form an opinion because there were a lot mm. of the, the traits of the team were there in those first five games. Uh, on the negative side, conceding goals when we've been leading games against West Brom and Blackpool, where we arguably could have, should have closed out both games for a victory, but didn't. And then um, I think on the positive side, we scored a set-piece goal, I think, as I remember. Did we not? where Abundant. the ball gets played to the, the back post, Ribs and Rossi yeah. to knock it back and Jaden Anthony score. That was the Birmingham City game. And I couldn't remember the last time we'd actually scored a goal from a corner before that mm. match. It was probably about two and a half seasons ago, it felt like to me. And and you saw some really nice positives in the way that we were playing, particularly when we were on top. You know, lots of energy from the fullbacks, lots of underlapping and overlapping, really good combinations. Um, but at the same time, you felt, mm, are we are we going to be ruthless enough when teams pack the defence as they did at Hull? Or are we going to be clinical enough, should be scoring three when we're only scoring two as we did against Blackpool? And and I think we've still got some of those issues perhaps today. Um, And you could definitely see it in those first five games. Not sure what you think, Ahmed.
0: Yeah, I, I, I definitely echo your sentiments there in terms of it being a bit difficult to um, be, a, be a bit too harsh, even though those results don't look the greatest. Um, I think what's more important is the process um, and how you know how the team plays. You know when they're behind, when they're on top. You know how they handle sort of the different fluxes of pressure in, in the game. Um, I think it's also you know there are still a lot of injuries and illnesses and just absences in general uh, in those first five games. It, it took a while for the team to look anything like um, you know full strength, like it does now. Um, and I, th- I still think, obviously, as you touched on earlier, Parker was still finding, um, you know, his his I guess his favorite eleven to play in his in his system, and still making still making subtle tweaks here and there. So yeah, I think it's um, it, it's not the best obviously sequence of games. I think it was just two wins out of the five. Um, but at the same time, I think the process showed, and I think it, f- we'll see from the next five games and the five games after that that um, you know, Bournemouth went on leaps and bounds after that. So I think it's it was just the beginning of you know just Bubbling along and then boom. (laughs) I guess 15 games I beat him.
2: Yeah, now these were the matches that followed in September. And look, despite the very good results, I mean 3-0 over Barnsley was fairly convincing. I've got to say, Chris, that some supporters thought that a few of those results were a little bit fortuitous. For instance, the home win against Luton, where in the early stages of the match, the striker inexplicably Hit it over the bar from practically inside the goal. No idea how he did that. And also the QPR game. I remember Travers with a with a fingertip save to keep it 2-1 and to earn us the three points. Did Did you share the feeling that there was a little bit of luck with those early results, or or not so much?
3: I actually missed the Barnsley QPR and Cardiff games. I wasn't at any of those, but having obviously seen the highlights and things, you're Mm. right about the QPR game. I remember watching highlights of that and thinking Bournemouth were hanging on a little bit at the end of that one. Cardiff game away wasn't a classic by all accounts. Phil Billing got the goal. But I think when you're on that run, and don't forget by this time, Gary Cahill's come in, things are looking mm-hmm. a little bit more defensively solid. Um, you know, obviously Dom Solanke's just started to, to click into his stride as well. So you do find that when you're on that little bit of positive momentum, again, it's a cliche, but things like, you know, Adebayo missing an open goal for Luton, those things start to go in your favour a little bit. And it was just enabling maybe the, the positive, I guess, the surprise, if you like, of the fact that they got through that first month Unscathed. I were just checking the bench for the forest game on my phone there, actually, with the likes of Sadie and Mariah Welsh and Brennan Camp and all those guys on the bench. Um, even for the forest game, you know, a couple of games into the season. So yeah, by the time you get to September and things are, you know, Scott Parker's had a little bit of time, at least in the building, then maybe they deserve that little bit of luck for what they've gone through in the first few weeks. But the Peterborough game at the bottom of that list, let me tell you, that was a stinker. I was back for that one. That was a that was another bore nil-nil draw. <sighs>
1: yeah.
3: What would you say, guys, has been the impact of
1: two of the signings that came in quite late into the squad? A certain uh, Ryan Christie and Gary Cahill. Chris? Immense. Absol- oh,
0: absolutely. Oh, man, you go. <laughs> Sorry, I started already. <laughs> you go, I'm Absolutely immense. I mean, um, obviously, David Brooks missing out is, was always going to be a tough blow, but I think Christie's come in and he's probably out of everyone else in the squad because, I mean, this... Parker's philosophy would have been new to everyone. But I think he's probably taken to it the quickest. We're still yet to see. I think Robbie Brady's only started a game since coming and he joined quite a while ago. So it's just, you know, he was always willing to, you know, Parker, you got the feeling that Parker always just wanted to stick him in because he just always knew he was ready. And I think that that just is testament to his level of commitment, the technical quality he has on the ball, his ability to play out wide and, and in midfield. He's a versatile player. And not versatile in the sense that you can put him there and he'll do a job, but versatile in the sense that he will give you a very good performance in pretty much most positions in just any kind of attacking role. Um, so, yeah, I think he's done particularly well. And Gary Cahill as well. I, I initially thought, I'll be honest, my initial assessment of Gary Cahill's signing, wasn't, I wasn't as excited about him as I was uh, right, mm-hmm. Christie, I'll be honest, because coming from Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace, I had a look at his passing stats had a look at it, just uh, Crystal Palace's defending passes, that's in general, and it looked to be night and day from what I'd expect Parker to want him to do. Um, and I was right in the, in the respect that it is night and day, but I kind of mm-hmm. forgot that it, this is Gary Cahill. He's won a Champions League and um, he is, you know, uh, I think a former England international and he's a, a decorated defender and he's capable of playing in many different systems. And so he's come in and while, you know, many would say that him and Lloyd Kelly are like chalk and cheese and that um, Kelly is uh, a very Physical in terms of the athletic centre back, uh, left-footed, uh, can ping a pass. And many thought that, that you know the, almost the complete opposite of that was Gary Cahill. But I guess opposites mm-hmm. not attract. But I guess they they they're, they're sort of their distinct s- skill sets definitely um, complement each other very well. And where you have someone like Cahill, whose anticipation is his greatest strength. Um, you have someone sweeping in behind in Kelly who can pick up those in case someone gets in behind and can chase with, with this outrageous recovery pace. So I guess, yeah, you do have, I think that's definitely something that Scott Parker must have noticed beforehand and thought they were definitely going to complement each other well. And it's just, <laughs> it's proven. I mean, the defensive stats on that unbeaten run since Cahill was in the team were absolutely immense in terms of shots faced, mm. expected goals against, uh, shots on target faced, um, goals conceded. Uh, I think Bournemouth's record is still decent but in along that run, when Cahill first came into the team, he hit the ground running absolutely.
2: Mm. So, whilst the results in September, might, some fans might have seen them as fortuitous. Chris, I mean, it's fair to say in October, if there is luck, we were we were riding the wave. But some of those performances <laughs> there. Bristol City was one of the most dominant performances I've seen. And 2-0, seriously, I mean, it could have been 6 or maybe 7. I think you just
3: about managed to get into the stadium, uh, did you, in time? <laughs> Bristol City was my first appearance on your vlog while I was waiting outside for a taxi to deliver our replacement equipment. Uh, also our equipment oh, and I think I sat down in my seat with the replacement equipment, as the whistle went for the start of the game, so that wasn't great. But yeah, that was that. Yes, you're right. That could have been six or seven. Uh, the Sheffield United game, of course, was the first time they'd really been posed a question about falling behind, oh, yeah. um, and answered it superbly well against a good team. And I'm I'm actually quite surprised Sheffield United are, are not higher up the table. They've obviously been a, a little bit in and out since then. I, I've expected them to surge out of mid-table. They haven't done it. They're still down there at the moment. Stoke away. You can't you can't beat winning at Stoke, can you? Um, particularly on a, a grim Tuesday night or Wednesday night, whatever night it was, um, and also. So you can't beat winning at Reading either, can you? To be honest with you, and again, that was a that was a great a great night, great performance. Terrible shirt numbers. Have I ever mentioned the shirt numbers? Um, <laughs> I don't know if you that. when you look at that list, there, that's a that's a great month, isn't it? And that that's the the, the type of month where the Championship are now looking and going, okay, Bournemouth can serious contenders.
1: I think it was a period in that run where we, as Bournemouth fans, were dreaming of uh, what Arsenal did as the Invincibles, thinking you can beat us. You know, <laughs> we were playing so much better than any opposition, and um, yeah, it, it just felt that the the chemistry and the 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 team had completely bought into the process, whatever the process is. And um, I just I just felt, particularly when we beat Reading, you know, not one of our most fortunate grounds as it was last season, that mm. we yeah
3: we were unstoppable. I remember having the stat at the Reading game that it was Reading's record of 106 points, I think, isn't it? That Bournemouth were, you know, gunning for at that point. Obviously, that's slipped away now and we're all getting a bit excited at that point. But that that tells you the kind of sort of belief and positivity that was around at that time.
2: Mm.
3: And then (laughs) on to November then, Ahmed, (laughs) and my
2: goodness me, it it all started to go slightly (laughs) wrong. Although there was that 4-0 Swansea City win, which was fantastic. But we did get our, our first loss at home. That was... Uh, Preston and then the Derby County 3 2. We we did retake the lead at, at one, or we we scored to make it 2 1, didn't we? Uh, Dom Solanke scoring, and then sadly, um, it all went a bit Pete Tong, and then a couple of draws. <laughs> I won't go on to December yet, we might not want to look at that, but um, it was start, starting to unravel a little bit. What what do you think was sort of what went wrong in those games, Ahmed? Or there's there just like you know, just a myriad of factors to really explain in one soundbite? <laughs>
0: yeah that's the million pound question i've been racking my brain over this for a while but i think it probably has a bit to do with the absences there were a bit few absences there um mm. i'm not sure if it was there or december but there were beginning to be a few i think with um lloyd kelly being out and John uh, jordan zamora being out with his knock as well um i think he got that knock at reading or may have been no i'm not sure but yeah it was just a bit, i think it's it's also a case of bournemouth have i mean they're Bournemouth best players, you look at the likes of Philip Billing and, and Dominic Solanke, Lloyd Kelly. They are so good at their roles that it's almost become mm. a bit of a double-edged sword for Bournemouth in the sense that uh, they carry such specialties in their role. You know, you look at Billing, I don't think there are any many midfielders in the championship who have an eye for goal from midfield as he does. You look at Lloyd Kelly, I don't think there's any defender in the championship who's got his eye for a pass um, or his passing range. Um, in, 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 in the whole division. So when you lose those kinds of players and they bring so much to Parker's, sort of the way that the Parker wants his team to play, you kind of need two or three different players to replace one player in that respect. And none of them can really do it to their level. And you're kind of having to, so, you know, I guess we'll, we'll touch on it more. It, it probably, that unfolded a bit more in December where we saw um, a sort of a diversion from Parker's four-three-three to a 3 2 against uh, Coventry um, and, a, and a sort of 4 4 Diamond against Fulham. Where Parker sort of had to deviate from his preferred formation in order to, you know, uh, I guess stop fires and other parts of the pitch. Mm-hmm. When you lose someone like Kelly, progressing the ball is becoming is, is going to be a bit of an issue. Um, when you lose someone like Billing or when you lose someone like Zamora, that thrust that that he provides with the yeah. team on the attacking on, on the left with, with Anthony, that you can't really replicate that. And I know that you know I I've shared this squad depth chart that I've dropped with Bournemouth players, and the idea is that you have two inverted wingers on each side. So you have Rogers and Anthony on the left, and you have well working play there, and you have Brooks and Christie on the right and the idea is there's supposed to be a continuity in the team where if one player misses out, the other one comes in, not much should change, and in practice, mm. it should be quite seamless, but as we've seen, that transition was not seamless uh, the quality from the starting eleven to the bench is quite this bigger than a lot of us thought, let's be honest, and I thought that's probably one of the biggest contributing factors to yeah the 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 the, the turn of results, I think. And that's that's we, where sorry, Jeff. Go on.
1: No, I was I was just going to say I think um, I think we started to lose a little bit of that luck that we'd had early on in the season. You know, yeah. if you think about that uh, that derby game, um, Stacey makes two decisions that are poor decisions, and we don't get out of jail with those two, uh, whereas we would have done earlier in the season. And uh, I'm not sure what you think, Chris, but uh, Preston strike me well. They must they must be like how Chelsea view us in the Premier League. you know, we yeah. never want to play them.
3: No, for, for no great reason either. I mean, they're, they're sort of, with the greatest respect to the mid-table fodder, really, aren't they? I mean, they're, they're never the sort of team you'd be thinking, oh, it's Preston, apart from the fact they always win at Bournemouth. Um, but just just going back to what, what I was saying there about squad depth, I mean, that's one thing where I think this window is quite important because Scott Parker has now had half a season to work out who he doesn't fancy and who in his on his bench are on the bench really just to fill the spots and actually would he want to start them? And I think there's two or three on the bench regularly who probably doesn't really want to start and we, we saw it when the injuries came along, as Ahmed quite rightly says, that actually the depth probably isn't quite there to, to, to operate at the level that Scott Parker Wilson to operate at. Um, and that's why I think, even though there's, there's good numbers in the squad, when you think of Kilkenny, Brady, a couple of others who slipped my mind weren't even in the squad for Cardiff, there, there are numbers there. There's 20, 21, 22 players. But are there 16 starters? And I think at the moment, probably not. It's probably 13.
2: Mm. Right then, so December... The end of the first half of the season, it, it picked up against Fulham, Jeff, and I, on, I honestly thought that was going to be the galvanising uh, showing that would maybe, you know, set us on the path to winning games again. But we followed them off with a 2-0 loss home against Blackburn and then a horrible 1-0 against Middlesbrough. Second half of the season, we've been doing a lot better. So it's been a, a mixed Christmas, eh?
1: Yeah, topsy-turvy. That Fulham game, I thought we actually played pretty well. He uh, changed the shape. Uh, which was something we hadn't really seen him do, playing a, a kind of diamond midfield to to counteract Fulham and to probably accommodate the team that we had available. Um, and we were missing a fair few players. Abba Smith was playing his first game and probably his only game for about another oh, yeah. three or four months. Um, and and I thought the team acquitted themselves pretty well. Um, again, got to say what a fantastic set piece goal, which is refreshing to see. I think that's something that the coaching team yeah. have become known for and I, I love to see a, a, a well coached guard and you'll see a better one than that ever from a centre kick and um, yeah I thought Fulham would would galvanise us um, but it was incredibly flat and disappointing the the next two games Blackburn and, and Middlesbrough and I, I sort of struggled to to realise or to, to put two and two together and think why did we lose those two games and, and put in such poor performances uh, it's almost like a collective sort of Lack of, lack of self-belief from some, from some of the players. I think, um, I think there, there is perhaps a slight pressure that when, when Dom or Phil Billing either A, aren't playing or B, don't score, who else in the team is going to contribute? Um, and I think Ryan Christie has felt that quite significantly until, um, until last week.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely agree. So what's been the biggest surprise for
3: you this season, Chris? Oh, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Um, the biggest surprise, I think probably Phil Billings has been the biggest surprise this season in such a good yeah. way. And, and, you know, he, we know that on his day he could have be effective, but he, he didn't always have his day, did he? He didn't always look like he yeah. was... You know, he wanted to be involved Didn't like he was given 100%. Um, you know, I know he won't be watching this. His dad might be. Um, but, you know, it, it's just an outward perception. He's, he's that kind of guy, isn't he? Just that sort of languid, relaxed kind of guy yeah. that sometimes it can be misconceived that, you know, he's not giving his all. But this year, he, you know, there's been one or two games where recently, you know, he was complaining of sore knees, wasn't he? I think the, the Middlesbrough away game a couple of games ago, he, he didn't look right and he didn't look involved. But then the other day, I mean, he was absolutely huge against Cardiff, massive. Um, so I think, again, if, if you talk to people at Huddersfield, they when they see him in this kind of form, they're amazed that he's he's got that. They always have thought there's something in his locker. So I would yeah. say Phil Billing being one of the first names on the team sheet has probably been one of the surprises, if I'm picking something off the top of my head. Um, mm. And again, the other thing that is worth mentioning in that December run is some of the chances. You know, Dom against Blackburn went through one-on-one in the first half, didn't he? Uh, missed it. Ryan Christie missed an open goal at, at Middlesbrough. So that, that's the one thing I've seen yeah. it come up in the comments as well on the uh, on the side of the screen here, that... One thing that hopefully we're not counting the cost of is some, some missed chances and not taking those chances and making games a little bit more comfortable than they probably should be. Hmm. Yeah. What do
1: you think, Ahmed? Where where do you think the, the biggest surprise packages come from the team?
0: There are a few. I think it, we, we'd we be remiss not to mention Zamora and Anthony's partnership on the left. Mm. I think that's probably been just their acclimatisation to the Championship has just been remarkable. Um, I think... For me personally, it would probably have to be Cahill. <laughs> I just didn't yeah. think, I just did think he'd just come in and just do as well as he did because he was literally, um, I don't want to blow his trumpet too hard, uh, but, but I think he's he, he looked a bit like Virgil van Dijk at times, just in terms of, I remember there was, I forget which game it was, it might have been a game against Cardiff where Bournemouth were a little bit um, under the cosh, the first game against Cardiff, um, and mm. the ball just, it was, it just rocketed in the air and it was coming mm. over um, Cahill's shoulder and he just touched it down. Oh, yeah, with, like, yeah. With, with an amazing touch and I was just like can this guy do no wrong <laughs> what kind of, like who's who this guy and what did he do with Gary Cahill <laughs> and it's like yeah it, it's it, it just utterly surprised me not to not to sort of say I, I didn't really rate him I mean it's a, a playing you know you compare playing uh, against Mohamed Salah and uh, Sadio Mane and all the, the best sort of forwards that the Premier League has to offer and you come down to the championship things are a little bit slower and I think that probably works to his worked to works to his advantage. So I probably shouldn't have been that surprised. But um, yeah, I think Gary Cahill for me is um, I th- the biggest I th- surprise.
1: I don't think we should perhaps uh, not mention a certain oh, yeah. <laughs> centre forward, all round player who is astonishing this season. Yeah. I think
2: what's changed? What's changed in his game? Because he's he seems more of a complete player than I've ever seen for a, for a long, long time. Jeff, what I mean, was it?
1: What has changed? I think he fits Parker's system brilliantly. He, yeah. He's an all-round link-up player. He can run in behind. He can hold defenders off. And he can score with either foot. And he can score with his head. Um, it, you know, he, he didn't have that with um, with that Serbian fellow he had the previous season. And I, I, I'm, I'm not sure that there are too many replacements for Dom. If Dom gets injured, I think we could well be in a lot of trouble.
0: Mm. Mm
3: that's a good point and and even in the January window in, in terms of signings how, how many players are there that can play like Dom Solanke that they that would be available in yeah. January or, or even in the summer either way um in in Parker's system i think that's a big issue for Bournemouth Jamal Lowe is the the obvious replacement as a number 9 we saw him come on the other day in that role um, but he's played more of his career recently out wide for Swansea and he hasn't really played through the middle Andre Ayew tends to play that more that role for them um so yeah that that is an issue and we you know we keep touching wood and saying let's hope nothing happens to Dom but yeah, definitely right to, to add him in as one of the surprises, but he is quite unique in the same way that was it you, Ahmed, that mentioned earlier about Phil Billing being being quite unique and actually Bournemouth don't really have anybody similar to him to play that mm. role in the squad. So when we talk about the two guys who've contributed the most in terms of goals, assists and sort of the offensive uh, key moments, if you like, they're almost two unique guys in the squad they haven't got replacements for.
0: For mm-hmm. sure.
2: I suppose we must mention a couple of the players that, uh, well, some transfer speculation. And I mean, Chris, you've you've known and spoke to Steve Cook for a number of seasons now, and it's um it's going to be a big loss for AC Bournemouth, isn't it?
3: Yeah, and it's it's not the way he obviously wants it to end, and it's not the way that most of the fans want it to end. And the latest situation, as far as I'm aware, is that he's not sure where he's going. Uh, I've keep seeing it, you know, written. QPR, it's off to QPR. It's done. It's off to Forest. It's done. Um, as I spoke to someone very close to him earlier today, actually, and they weren't sure where he was going. So people that claim to know where he's going, if they don't know, I don't think. Going, <laughs> I don't think that the people on the internet will know either. Do. So, yeah, QPR or Forest seem to be leading the charge at the moment. That's obviously the key reason that he he didn't play the QPR game was that it was quite close to quite close to home and a bit of a sort of a you know difficult one. And I think it's probably the sensible decision. Um, his testimonial, by the way, is ten years is tomorrow. It's 10 years tomorrow that he signed permanently for Bournemouth, 3rd of January, 2012. Um, So that's another reason I think that he hasn't gone anywhere just yet because uh, he will get, I don't know how it works these days, because you don't really get a testimonial match so much if you leave the club, do you? Um, But there'll be some, there's some benefit, I'm sure, of having a a 10-year testimonial tax-free sum or whatever it is these days. It all all changes, isn't it? But in terms of Bournemouth, you know, again, people talk about, you know, he should have played more this season. You just get that... Unfortunately, in football, it happens. It happens in all walks of life, doesn't it? Whatever your your trade is, whatever your profession is, if the manager, the boss, the editor, whoever it is, just doesn't rate you for whatever reason, doesn't you don't fit quite in, that life becomes difficult for you, or you know you end up going somewhere else, and that's just what happens to Steve Cook. For whatever reason, all the reports are that he's been great. He's trained hard. He's kept his head down, knowing that he'll he still has a, a three or four year contract to get somewhere else at a decent level. Um, and, it, you know, it's definitely a shame from a Bournemouth point of view that someone with 10 years service just sort of, I guess, fades away. Um, but we certainly wish him very well. And it's it's an absolute certainty that he will go in the next few days.
1: It struck me that uh, what Parker wants to do is build and shape the team around Kelly as the captain. And that's mm-hmm. fundamentally part of the reason why you can't have Steve Cook in the same team, because he, he was the captain for so many years and doesn't then really fit the, that kind of... Building a team around somebody new and, and I, I feel sorry I for Steve sorry Cook because he has been a legend. Yeah. And I think any of us who saw that defensive display at Fulham, you, mm. you know, you can't forget that. No,
2: of course, absolutely. I uh I know your name is down as Ahmed Schubel, but I think it should be Ahmed Scoopel after the Athletic <laughs> had uh, some news earlier with regards to this guy. Um can you tell us a little bit about him?
0: Scoopel, that's a new one I'm gonna to have to write down. I didn't hear that <laughs> yeah. one. More. I didn't I didn't hear that one at school.
2: <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, but it's a nice scoop for the Athletic and, uh, you know, uh, you know, a potential incoming for AFC Bournemouth, by the sounds of it, for Ethan Laird.
0: Yes, yes. So a very attacking right back or right wing back. I think anyone who saw uh, the first sort of 30, 20 minutes of uh, the game Bournemouth played against Swansea earlier in the season, <laughs> uh, for lack of a better term, torched Leif Davis down that side. I think Leif Davis almost, I guess, he took him down in the box and, ref said he won the ref said he won the ball but I guess it's a bit of a contentious decision um so yeah he gave he gave Leaf Davis a a bit of a torrid time in the opening stages of that game um a very uh, very comfortable carrying the ball forward. but It takes a lot of his touches in the final third. I had a quick look at Opta just before I hopped on. Ranks highest of all championship defenders for dribbles completed, uh, dribbles uh, attempted. And Aiden, Aiden Flint of Cardiff, <clears throat> excuse me, is the only defender to take more touches in the opposition box. But I think the, t- the kind of touches that Flint is taking probably more conducive to winning aerial draws. Different kind of touches that Ethan Led's taking in terms of, you know, trying to beat the last man and get it crossed into the box. So, you know, the, I, I tweeted this earlier, but the prospect of having... Um, you know, what does that say about Rutler? Oh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's harsh. Completely, that Relegation, Rutzler. Completely, of completely <laughs> caught me off guard. Sorry. <laughs> Just the prospect, of having the prospect of having Zamora and um, Zamora and, and Laird on either side, bombing down the wings, and you've got these sort of um, wingers are playing ahead of them on the on their wrong side, of, on the side of their weaker foot, cutting inside, operating in the channels, and that sort of symmetry is going to be exactly what Bournemouth needs. And I think the only player who loses out potentially is Jack Stacey, Jack Stacey rather, because, um, you know, he's, he's had pretty much with Smith out injured, dealing with, um, you know, his, his injury. He's pretty much had that right back spot all to himself um, and made a few mistakes as, as defenders do. It's, It's, you know, it's not the end of the world, but you know, it's now he's going to have to fight for that spot. And I think, if I was to be harsh, I'd say Laird is probably more suited to the kind of what Parker expects from his from his fullbacks to be attacking, to take a lot of their touches in you know the, the final third and their final ball as well. I think that's probably the main thing with, with Stacey. His his, his endeavour in terms of getting into the opposition box is there, but his final ball sometimes lets him down. And I think Laird will, Laird will do well to keep him uh, or try and keep him out of the team. You know,
2: relegation story could be promotion Peter by the end of the season if <laughs> and get their way. Um, Chris, where, um, sorry, Jeff, I was about to come to you before we go back to Chris. Um, because there are a few questions for Chris with regards to potential transfer incomings, etc. Where do you think we need to strengthen, Jeff?
1: Well, I I worry when Phil Bill is out that Christie doesn't really fulfil that role, and I don't think oh, yeah. uh, Parker really uh, trusts Marcondes with that role, so. Who who is going to play that uh, that number ten ish role that that Phil Bill does so well? Um, I think that's an issue. And I, again, you know, I think I think we need cover just in case Solanke does something. But who's going to want to sit on the bench? I mean, Sam Sarge didn't want to do it. So who who is there that that can do that? I think those are probably the two problem areas. We've got more central midfielders than any other club in the championship. So don't need to worry about that. Um, Other than that, I think we're pretty sound.
2: So, Chris, people are asking, whereabouts are we strengthening? Are there any rumours? What's happening at Dean Court?
3: Well, obviously, the Ethan Laird one has been a great scoop by Ahmed and his guys at the Athletic today. And, you know, echoing what Ahmed's been saying. I mean, Ahmed's the king of the stats, uh, much more <laughs> than I am. But that, that, I remember being impressed with him. I remember thinking he'd stay on his feet a little bit more, if I remember, in that the Swansea game. But um, in terms of this window, as far as I gather, there's not a pot of money that is going to be splashed on, on big signings. Uh, we're looking at loans. We're looking at uh, possibly one or two with contracts expiring elsewhere in the summer. Um, I think of the Ben Pearson kind of situation where he came in January for peanuts um, as somebody who was contract was expiring elsewhere. I've heard certainly one name, um, which I, if you don't mind, I'm not going to say only because it was given to me in confidence. and I don't want to breach that confidence, but um, it, it's, you know, a, a top level championship player um, who might fit the bill in terms of the kind of areas that Jeff was talking about there. Um, so I think Ethan Laird again, is the, the kind of signing, you know, a, a premier league young low knee and as Ahmed's been saying, you know, he's, he's coming to play. Um, there's no point in him playing every week to, at Swansea and then coming and sitting on the bench at Bournemouth that Man United don't get anything out of that at all. So, I feel a bit sorry for Jack Stacey, but he admitted himself. I spoke to him this week. He said, you know, he hadn't been at his best in the last few weeks, maybe as a result of the team not being at their best. So competition on the right-hand side for Laird, I think he will add add stuff going forward as well as uh, defensively as well. Uh, In the window, they're obviously looking for cover for Solanke, 100% looking for cover for Solanke. Um, The other area that sort of has been an ongoing theme, and it's been that way since the summer, and again, I've seen some comments flashing up on the, the right here, is a guy who probably hasn't had enough credit in the last few weeks, which is Mark Travers, um, who, you know, made a couple of great saves again the other day. That one early on from Kiefer Moore from from point blank range. And yes, you know, the, there's always been that element of Mark Travers, particularly when he's trying to do things the right way with the ball at his feet. Uh, that, that, that there may be a mistake in there somewhere. But in terms of his shot stopping, his cross claiming, you know, he seems to be more commanding of his box. I think he's really grown in the last couple of months. So I know they've they've sort of had goalkeeper as one area on their recruitment pad for quite a while since the Freddie Woodman situation over the summer, which yeah. would have happened if it wasn't for for COVID and injuries at Newcastle. So um, I, I wouldn't be 100% surprised if there wasn't a goalkeeper brought in during this window. But also, you know, I think people would be pretty happy with the, the form that Travers has shown in the last few weeks to, to stay with him for the rest of the season as well. And you know, he's progressing by being in the team, which is exactly what they need. So I've answered it in a very long roundabout way, Sam, but my my information is not going to be spending big money, possibly two or three. They're looking at different positions. Striker for sure, possibly a goalkeeper. And obviously Ethan led's coming already. Or coming. Yeah. So will it be enough, Jeff? That's where
2: we are at the moment. Will we be all right? 21 games to go.
1: Do you know, I, I think... um I think we will be. I, I think Blackburn are good. They've probably been the best team that I've seen this season from the opposition. I think they they are really well organised and, and very very good and hard to hard to understand how Fulham put seven past them, albeit you know they were down to ten men for much of that game. Mm. Um, I think maybe their squad depth might get found out as the season goes on. Um, in which case, I would say it's us and Fulham. I, th- I think West Brom are, are not as good as perhaps. Um, pundits would like them to be they seem to get a lot of coverage and a lot of praise and the coach obviously attracts a lot of interest but I don't think they're all that frankly they don't score enough goals for me
0: mm.
1: of the rest did um... you say Fulham
3: don't score enough goals did you no 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 like I'm, I'm West
1: Brom I think Fulham will be fine to be going up <laughs> yeah. with us um, I think of the others I think Middlesbrough are, are better under Wilder and I think Sheffield United now they've offloaded Jokanovic. I think they'll probably make yeah. a bit of a surge. So don't don't uh, don't write them off yet for a playoff place.
2: And Ahmed, do you share Jeff's sentiment? Are the cherries going up? Oh, uh, you're going to make me
1: say
0: it? <laughs>
2: yeah, why not?
0: <laughs> yeah, go on, cause now nah, you know uh, you never. This is the championship, yeah. Matt. Uh, it's, they think in the Premier League anyone can be anyone, but that's not. That's, that's even more true in the Championship. Uh, I don't really like using words like winnable. Um, it's yeah, it's it's, it's it, it, the last few games. We just looked at that, that December run. There are a lot of quote-unquote winnable games in there. You just never know. I I'd like to think so, but uh, I mean promotion, yeah, automatic. I don't know. We'll see. But I'm 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 hesitant. I'm hesitant still. Excellent,
2: excellent. Right, Jeff, we're going to close it up there. Any closing comments?
1: No, just uh, great to hear your insights, guys, mm. and um, thanks for being such excellent journalists. I think somebody put it up on the the comments earlier. You know, you 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 do a fantastic job. Yeah. Love love reading your stuff and seeing your interviews, and uh, always got some really good things to say. So keep up the good work.
0: And you guys are doing a phenomenal job as well. No, I'd like no. I, can can
3: I just say as well that it's been really interesting for me this year to have you know as somebody quite rightly said that the depth of coverage that these guys that Ahmed for the Athletic, Jacob for Dorset Live, and the Echo Boys, Dan and Tom as well provide. Now they, mm-hmm. you know, our, my job is completely different. We, we really cover the live stuff. We're we're there to bring the the games in broadcast form. So the stats of the tactical stuff that these guys bring, which we don't a have time for, but B, it's not really our remit. Um, you know, it's. I find it really, really interesting to to, to be able to add, to add to what we try and do as well to, to use their, the stuff that they spend hours and hours pouring over to produce these brilliant pieces. So I would echo what the fans say, that for the guys that add uh, Ahmed and Jacob and Dan and Tom at the Echo as well, it's been a brilliant addition to the, the coverage of the Cherries this season and before.
2: Brilliant stuff. So Ahmed, thank, you, thank you, you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, guys. Chris, What's next for you apart from AFC Bournemouth stuff? What? Because uh, I'm always
3: interested. In where you going next? Yeovil Yo- <laughs> y- away is where I'm going next. Um, <laughs> yeah. po- hopefully, uh, after that, uh, quite a lot of athletics coming up. Of this busy okay. indoor athletics uh, season, culminating in the World Championships in Belgrade in the middle of March.
1: Amazing. So pleased you weren't doing
3: the darts tonight. Yeah, I've been to the darts as a fan many times. My brother went just before Christmas and came back with COVID on Christmas morning. So uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm not touching that place with a barge pole this year. <laughs> And Jeff, thank you very much for coming on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Sam. Hi, I'm Jimmy Glass, and this is Back of the Night.
2: So brilliant to have Ahmed and Chris on the show. And it's really interesting because the first half of AFC Bournemouth's 21-22 campaign was remarkable to say the least. It it quickly changed from fans being worried about our over-reliance on youth at the start of the season to then having major concerns when any of the kids were omitted from the squad. There have been shocks, there have been surprises, there have been sprees and slumps. But with Boscombe sitting in the automatic promotion places right now, I mean, it's difficult to moan too much, isn't it? But there was plenty of to talk about so it was really great to have Ahmed and Chris involved and if you do want to see that then just click onto our YouTube channel where all of the information is there. Right, thanks once again for listening to this latest pod. We are closing in on 150, so I just want to say thank you so much for all your support, for everything we've been doing. If you're not following us, just search AFCB Podcast in your socials and we would appreciate follows, likes and shares and all that kind of stuff. Until the next show, you've been listening to Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Richie and Beyond Walker.